You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I am your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. And I just wanted to say thanks so much for everybody who's been asking where I am, what's been happening, are we going to do more podcasts, what's going on? Um, I really appreciate it. It has been a very awesome but chaotic last um, couple years for me and my little family. And we have just moved back to Charleston in June of 2023 and just needed to take a break from some of the extra stuff that was on my plate. But now we're back and I have more time and we're more settled and I feel like I can put out good quality content again. So just thanks for hanging in there and and asking, frankly, just asking me to come back. It's delightful. I love doing this podcast and already have had a couple interviews that are going to be coming out here shortly that are just information that you guys need to hear. And it's awesome. So I'm excited. Um, I put a question box on my Instagram last week and then literally forgot to answer them on Instagram. So I'm actually going to use those today as my questions. I'm going to do a 10 questions episode. So starting off with a bang, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. Where have you been? Wait a second. You moved back. Never knew you moved in the first place. Kind of all of those things. Got several of those questions, which is just funny because I, I, I kind of couldn't figure out how much to talk about moving on Instagram. It was really hard because we loved our time in Nashville. We loved our friends in Nashville. We had a great experience. Uh, it was the right thing to do for our family, which I'll get into in a minute. But we also were really ready to move back. We knew when we left Charleston, kind of felt like we had these conversations when we were leaving of, oh, when when we come back or when we move back. Just didn't really know what the timeline was going to look like for that. So yeah, I just, I don't know. I struggled with kind of how to say it and and what to say because I really am going to miss Nashville in a lot of ways, but excited to be back in Charleston. So kind of long story short, my husband, Ed, is a physician, but he has a really kind of unique skill set in medicine. He has his MBA. He got into telemedicine prior to COVID. So when COVID came, he had a very niche skill set that was in very high demand all of a sudden, which kind of propelled him into this really interesting part of, of medicine. And he's, he's just a person who, I mean, if you know, Ed, he's a seven on the Enneagram, he's like the seven of seven that ever sevened. And he's always needing a new project and needing to just use his, he's, he's very, very brilliant needing to use his brain in a million different directions. So he was kind of, maxed out in a way what he could really do with his skill set in Charleston. So we knew we we had to move for him. And we almost moved to Houston. We almost moved to Georgia. And, you know, there are certain parts of the country that are really like big hubs for healthcare, Houston being one, and then actually Nashville being the other. And we had really close friends in Nashville, still have really close friends in Nashville. RIP, everybody. Love y'all. And that felt like a better fit for our family than the other places where he was looking. So we moved to Nashville for a job that he was in that, you know, they're just after a little while, we're just some, just some um, 
well, just say misalignments. So he moved on from that job and is now what in what I would consider to be essentially his dream job, where he gets to work with a bunch of different types of healthcare companies all day, every day. And that's what he's really good at. So after a little while, just um, we're able to approach his company and say, would you be okay with me working from Charleston? So, and they you know, thankfully said yes. And we go back to Nashville quite a bit, um, particularly Ed. And and we, you know, we love it and we love our friends there, but we've always felt char- that Charleston was him. So we're back. We love it. Um, the kids are back with us. Obviously, they, they live with us. They're our roommates. Um, they're loving school, loving being back closer to my company, the Skin Click. And it's just been great. So yeah, I mean, it was super chaotic for a little while because we moved moved to Nashville, lived in a rental house. We were building, built our house, moved in there. Then after about four months, we had started kind of talking about moving back. And then we then we moved back here this summer. So it's it's just kind of been a whirlwind and really glad to be settled. But let's keep going with the questions. So I'll say this is question number three, technically in this list. And if you were listening to me ramble last week on Instagram, this question comes from that. Why is health insurance the worst? Man, uh, if anyone knows of someone who would be in kind of an expert in this field and would be willing to come on and talk, like I would love to do that interview because I, I feel like, and perhaps they don't want to come in public and talk because everyone's so mad at them all the time. But basically what happened last week is we got, um, we got a bill from Vanderbilt from one of our kids that had been seen multiple times there over the last eight months and got this bill for like, I don't know, like let's call it $15,000 for the sake of easy math. I think it was somewhere maybe a little less than that, but let's just say 15,000. So we get this bill and I'm looking and we're like, okay, insurance paid it, but they're saying that we owe it. Like what? So I call Vanderbilt and I'm like all riled up at Vanderbilt's billing department, which by the way, I don't care if it's the best hospital in the world. I have been operated on at Johns Hopkins. We've had a child at Vanderbilt. We obviously both worked at MUSC here in Charleston. I don't care how big or prestigious the organization is. All major healthcare organizations have the same problems. Truly, they do. So I digress. Call Vanderbilt. I'm like all riled up. I'm like, insurance paid for this. Why are you saying we owe you $15,000? And he's like, well, let me go back through it. Okay, so they did pay for it. And then six months later, they decided, oh, it's not medically necessary. And they took the payment back. (laughs) First of all, I didn't even realize that 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 could happen. So that was neat. And I'm like, I don't, okay, what? Because this, what my child was diagnosed with is like, this is the only way that that's possible was an imaging under um, general anesthesia. So you can imagine it was like a pretty, I mean, a big bill. And he's like, yeah, they said it's not medically necessary. I don't know, call your insurance. So I called Blue Cross and this is where I was posting, like I've been on the phone for literally two hours. Thankfully I was traveling and I was in the airport And I had this like random amount of time where I couldn't accomplish anything. I was in Miami and I couldn't really do anything else anyway. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just go back to the airport and like hang out. So (laughs) I literally had hours by myself in the airport to try to get something accomplished with insurance. So I get on the phone with insurance. They're telling me Vanderbilt hasn't sent over any notes. And I'm just, I felt so fortunate in that moment because I worked as a surgical nurse practitioner for about 10 years in two different surgical specialties. And, and there's just like certain parts of the hospital where, okay, for example, when you go for surgery, there's, you get a prior authorization from your insurance company. 
because what they're not going to do as the hospital is take you to surgery and, and when it's elective, not, not emergency and let you rack up a hundred thousand dollar bill and then insurance come back and say, Oh, they're not going to pay it. So there's this whole departments in the hospital that they're it's the PA department, prior authorization department. That's what they do. And then certain types of insurance, like let's say you're having your gallbladder out, that may be a code in your particular insurance that doesn't require a prior authorization, but they, the PA department has all those numbers and the codes and everybody's insurance is different. And that it's their job to kind of look that up and figure that out. So I'm going back and forth and insurance is saying they didn't send it. And I'm like, that's just, you and I both know that's not how this works. This doesn't make sense. They wouldn't have put her under general anesthesia for an elective procedure without knowing if she needed a PA or not, blah, blah, blah. So we're going back and forth. So then I go back to Vanderbilt and I'm like, they're saying that, you know, the whatever, this has been too long of a story. All that to say, breaking insurance, y'all, we are somehow all united against big pharma, which is, I'm sure, very justified, right? Like big pharma does a lot of great things, but they also do a lot of very evil things. If you've seen Dope Sick or uh, what's the other one? Painkillers. Oh my gosh, crazy. And it's all like so true. So we're all united against big pharma, but like, why are we not all united against insurance? What, how can we get ourselves on board with insurance so that we can somehow take them down? Insurance is the worst. And I, here I am with several extra hours in my day and I have all the proper terminology to argue with these people and go back and forth between the hospital and the insurance and I just, I, I mean, I said to Ed, I was like, I literally don't know how people do it. One, that have zero medical knowledge. Two, that have like, let's say a chronic illness or a chronically ill child where you're getting medical bills like all the time. Because fortunately, I could really remember every specific thing that happened with my kid, but it's because we only had kind of four or five, well, I'll say only four or five large events last year where if you had a kid, let's say with cancer or with, you know, on, I don't know, like y'all, so many things if you're getting bills all the time, that this could happen. I mean, it's bananas. So the next question is, will be question four, is how to push back appropriately on insurance and the hospital. Okay, and, and this I would say, I have been guilty of this and I wish I hadn't. The first thing I would say is never just receive a bill from the hospital and just pay it blindly, like never. And again, I don't care how wonderful and great and prestigious the, the institution is where you're being seen and having your bills come from. Same problems everywhere all over the country. They, things are just billed incorrectly and charged incorrectly. Even in Vanderbilt, great prestigious organization. We've had a better experience at MUSC. That's neither here nor there. I'll talk about that later. But got a bill for something that I was like, I think I already paid like a deposit on this. And so I called him and I'm going through and sure enough, the billing lady's like, oh yeah, um, you have a, you, yeah, you did. And you have a $2,000 uh, credit here. And I was like, ma'am, this isn't a store that I'm like excited to have credit for later down the road so I can buy some new stuff. Like, I, can I use the credit? What's happening? I don't want credit to this institution. So it's just crazy. And I, I just, I don't know how to, to say, let's get united and take down insurance any more clearly, but we've got to, and I don't know how to do that. So how to push back appropriately, never pay your bill without pouring over it. I mean, keep as many records as you can, which is so much easier said than done. I mean, and try to honestly try to take notes. Like if this was more 
complicated for me. I mean, I, I, I'm at the point where I would need to start taking notes and, and keeping track of things in that way. I mean, it's kind of crazy. So trying to think of any other way to, for y'all to like, to be helpful with insurance and billing. I mean, I would just say, honestly, unfortunately, I have found that you just, you have to be extremely firm and just kind of stand your ground type of thing because it's insurance's job. Like you can tell when you're talking to someone that they have the very specific scripted answer that they're supposed to use. And it's their job. Some of the other person on the other line, it's their job to deny the claim and figure out a way to, to keep it denied, which I mean, I hate to say, but it's true. Oh my gosh. Moving on, taking a hard left under eye bags, what to do with them, how to treat them. Okay. Under eye bags, notoriously one of the most difficult places on the face to treat in aesthetics. So I'd say this is kind of a multifaceted answer. It depends on the type of bags that you have. I mean, some people I feel like say dark under eye circles, under eye bags, and it can be dramatically different from one person to the next. So you can have a laxity of that ligament that's under your eyes. You can have a fat herniation that would require surgery. You can have disrupted lymphatic drainage that is causing like swelling, which we people would call bags under the eyes. You could have excess skin that would look like bags under the eyes that would require surgery. You could have, you know, thinner skin underneath the eyes where you're seeing the vasculature underneath and it just looks darker. Some people call that under eye bags. So I would say the first thing everyone has to start with is a good eye cream, which for me personally, I really only ever recommend Neocutis Lumiere because it has human growth factors in it and it will thicken the skin underneath the eyes. It also has peptides and caffeine and just good stuff for your under eyes. But I, I love, that's my favorite eye cream. And then after that, you know, some people are appropriate candidates for tear trough filler, microneedling, PRP injections, really good procedures. And then, I mean, a hard conversation that I have to have with some some people is, you know, you're going to need a blepharoplasty. Um, and what that means, so blepharoplasty is uh, either upper or over, upper or lower eyelid surgery. And gosh, I remember one time, and I, I, I hated that this is how the interaction went, but I had uh, someone ask me and sent me pictures on Instagram and asked about under eye filler. And I said, I, I honestly think that you really a blepharoplasty would be better for you. And she said, how, basically, how dare you tell me that I need surgery? And I was like, well, I, I, you asked, it's not like I just went up to you on the street and said, you need surgery. You, you asked about an under eye treatment, but it's just unfortunate because it doesn't mean you're worse than somebody who gets tear trough filler. It means that you have a different anatomy and anatomical issue that is going to be better fixed with surgery sometimes, you know? And I, I mean, I think it's our job as aesthetic providers to really be able to determine, not, I think it is our job as aesthetic providers to be able to determine who needs surgery versus who's a good candidate for under eye filler. And that's a, that can be a tough conversation. And, and if you have that question and if you're asking someone and they recommend surgery versus filler, it's not because, I mean, of course, I, like I get paid when I do filler. I would love to do it, but that doesn't mean that it's the right treatment for you. So that's kind of my spiel. Eye cream, microneedling, PRP, maybe filler, and sometimes surgery. Honestly, a lot of times surgery, which I'm sorry, but it's, it's just true. So next question, are facials a waste of money? 
I love this question because yes and no. Depends on what you're wanting to treat. Depends on what your goal is. So facials are typically performed by estheticians, which are under different licensing and regulations than nurses or nurse practitioners. And depending on the state, there are regulations on the level of the skin that they are allowed to be working in, basically. So you likely have someone who is really only allowed to work in the epidermis or most outer layer of the skin. And facials, depending on, again, what you're trying to treat and what you're trying to get, can feel nice. They can be super relaxing. If that's what you want, like going to get a massage, but for your face, then like, cool, absolutely, you know, do that. Um, now if you need extractions, like for blackhead, it's blackhead, sometimes even, you know, acne, it just depends. Those can be amazing in a facial. If you're just getting a facial for kind of maintenance and cause it feels good, but you think you're supposed to be doing it. What I typically say to my patients is save your money and get a chemical peel that is working more underneath the skin to build boost collagen and elastin, combat pigment, fine lines and wrinkles, so, I mean, there's certainly not a waste of, of money. I think it just depends on what your goal is. And a waste of money to one person, I mean, could be totally different depending on who you're talking to. So I've seen facials around me that are upwards of four and $500, which uh, can confirm that is a complete waste of money. It's just bananas. So, but... If you're my patient, just ask. And if you have an aesthetic provider, just ask them too. There might be a particular facial that they really recommend for you. Oh my gosh. Okay. Next question is really kind of a doozy. And I want to do an entire episode with myself and, and Ed on this question, but booster, so COVID booster and autoimmune disease. Will you be getting it? What do you think about that? Listen, I, I'm not here to Monday morning quarterback and I think it's so difficult. We have three years of information now, right? Like we're looking through things COVID wise with a completely different lens and a completely different set of information. Did I get the initial vaccination series? Absolutely. Did I get boosted? Absolutely. Um, Once, if maybe twice, honestly, I don't remember at this point. Um, will I be getting boosted again this year? Probably not me personally. And I'll tell you why I know I've had COVID multiple times. I'm pretty sure I had COVID like two or three weeks ago. I don't know. Not really testing at this point, unless I'm going to be around like my parents who would, I would want to protect particularly my mother. And I don't, I'm not in the hospital setting anymore. It's not going to change our management. The testing at home is so unreliable. Honestly, testing in general now, it's like so, unless it's positive, there's just a lot of false negatives. And again, it just, it doesn't change our management and we've all had it. Most people have had it multiple times by now. So I don't, I will not likely be getting a booster right now. So the autoimmune piece, I I mean, and candidly, I'm not going to try to act like I have a lot more information than I do. I I haven't really been keeping up with it that much anymore. And so I want kind of to talk about it because he still keeps up with it. But I, I mean, could the vaccine be triggering autoimmune responses or immune responses? Absolutely. But so can COVID. So I I don't know. I just feel like we're kind of making that same argument with 
the myocarditis thing and, and the incidence of COVID causing that was found to be much more significant the, than the incidence of the vaccine. So it's just, it's so hard. Like, I, I just think it's a conversation between you and your provider. And I wish that vaccines in general, but particularly co- the COVID vaccine wasn't so politicized. Like I just, ugh, it's such a difficult conversation. It is. And I hope that you guys know, I mean, we tried to navigate it the best we could in terms of like podcasts and information and, and all that. And and again, I mean, things are just so dramatically different now than they were three and a half years ago. I don't think it's really fair to say we should have done this or we shouldn't have done this. I think everyone that was working, frankly, their asses off during that time period was doing the absolute best that they could with the information that they had at the time, um, including everyone that I knew that was working in the hospitals working outside of the hospitals, you know, building facilities, building telemedicine platforms, making recommendations, treating the patients, everybody was doing the best they could with the information that they had at the time. We now have more information. We can now have different conversations. So that's my, that's my two cents. And yeah, I'm not going to talk about my kids. Sorry. Best treatments while in, while nursing. So this is best like skin skincare treatments in nursing. Again, taking a hard left. I like to go back and forth because I don't like to talk about too many like vapid aesthetics conversations in a row and then too many difficult like emotional conversations in a row. It's just, it can be overwhelming. But so best skincare treatments while nursing. I kind of put nursing and pregnancy in similar categories just because the recommendations are pretty similar. And and so I... um I may go back and forth between the verbiage, nursing and pregnancy, but essentially there is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot that is considered safe by ACOG, which is American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology during nursing, salicylic acid, glycolic acid, lactic acid, azelaic acid. All of these are great treatments during nursing. And, and so I, it's really more, what can you not use while nursing? You cannot use hydroquinone. It is systemically absorbed and that is a problem. Same for pregnancy. Hydroquinone is a big no-no. Now, retinol is a little bit more of a tricky conversation because not using retinol is really extrapolated from isotretinoin, which is the oral form of vitamin A. So I will have a risk-benefit conversation with my patients, um, ask them you know, to have that conversation with either their pediatrician or their OB if they'd like. And I just, um, you know, it's there are several sources now that are, are saying you know, it's not systemically absorbed. Therefore it should be fine while in nursing. They'll even say that in, for pregnancy. We just kind of talk about it, but I think hydroquinone, big no, no, there's so much that you can use in nursing. I mean, almost everything is considered safe by, by ACOG in terms of what we would, would normally use. Now when we're talking about things like acne and oral medications like spironolactone or, you know, doxycycline, those types of things that we, we use often to treat acne, rosacea, that's a different conversation. That's a very different conversation because you're taking an oral medication, whereas we're, I'm talking about topical or, you know, creams, serums, things that you're putting on the skin. It just, it takes a lot for these ingredients to get systemically absorbed. And so there's a lot that you can use. Um, kind of same, similar question, but is, is retinol better than tretinoin? So I, this came up multiple times when I posted a reel about 
tretinoin and, and retinoids and what these are doing for your skin. I feel like I've been having this conversation a lot lately. Okay, so tretinoin, if you'll think of the retinoid family, like a little family tree, if you will. Tretinoin is at the very top of the family tree. It is straight retinoic acid. And all the little retinol children, aunts, uncles underneath it convert and they eventually turn into to retinoic acid. But it's how many times do they have to convert before they turn into that? So tretinoin is kind of the longest studied, most studied, you know, longest running anti-aging ingredient. It works for acne. It works for pigment, fine lines and wrinkles. It boosts your collagen production. It aids in the cellular turnover and speeds up new cell production. It's a phenomenal ingredient, right? It can be cheaper, uh, depending on what form of the prescription you're using. It can be cheaper than some of the, the retinols. That being said, it, it's really hard to tolerate. And I feel like I've been pulling a lot of people off tretinoin recently because they're like, yeah, I've been on it for six months and I'm still flaking or peeling or I'm still breaking out or I'm having issues. And I think tretinoin is great when you can tolerate it and when you can use it. But there are a reason why there's, there's a reason why there's so many retinols on the market. And that I, for me personally is because I find a lot of them more tolerable and, you know, with similar or, or better results. I mean, if I've got someone that's still, you know, purging or flaking or red or irritated six months into tretinoin, I mean, like, I wouldn't say that's a good result. Like that's, uh, look, who wants that as a patient? So I'll try to find a retinol that works better for them. They're just, they're just different. And I think it's going to take a while and studies of retinol and tretinoin kind of head to head, back to back for years of usage for us to really say, one's not as good as the other. They they both work really well and there's different strengths and formulations and all of that. So I, I think if you're on prescription tretinoin and it's working for you, cool. If it's not, let's talk about it. Dr. Obaji also teaches, which I love him. I love, I love you, Zane Obaji. He teaches cycling on and off tretinoin because he says that even when you don't have like external visible irritation and inflammation, like the redness, the peeling, the flaking, he teaches us that that tret is still irritating at the cellular level, which causes inflammation. And when there's inflammation around the cell, your other ingredients can't penetrate and get in like your vitamin C's, your antioxidants, that kind of thing. So he recommends cycling on and off it. And I'll do whatever he says. Sort of kidding, but also not. But I mean, the, the whole point of that irritated reaction and the, the redness, the peeling, the flaking, our cells in our skin are coming alive and they're, they're in repair mode, which is essentially what you want. I mean, that's what Microneedling, chemical peels, lasers, all these things we're doing to cause these little controlled micro, micro injuries so that the skin will react and repair. Uh, but you don't want that long term. So that's why he recommends cycling on and off. Okay, last question. Will Ed ever come back on? Yes, yes, he will. He lives here. And um, we actually recorded an episode this weekend. And so many things were happening. No, it was Friday afternoon. Uh, I had the wrong mic thing chosen. And so it sounded like we were in like a wind tunnel shoebox situation. Like it was very bad. And then we were walking down to pick the girls up from the bus stop. Um, and we had like a finite amount of time. 
or I did before I had to go grab them. And we were kind of rushed. And at the end of it, and I was like, first of all, that was ter- like, that was a terrible episode. I don't even know what we were talking about. I don't know what should happen. And then Kyle, my producer was like, it also sounds really bad. So I'm going to need you to re-record that. So we will, we will be re-recording. Uh, I want to do some COVID update stuff with him and just kind of talk about, gosh, like how far we've come, where we were then and now. Um, so if you have questions for him or us to talk about together, let me know. And thank you guys so much for continuing to listen. Truly, if you like this episode, rate, subscribe, come back. I have a great guest lineup coming up for you guys in the fall. We've got a menopause expert, actually multiple hormone experts. Um, Pelvic pain doc is going to be back talking about sexual health, which is amazing. You guys like loved her last time. Can't wait for that. We're going to have Ed on. We're going to talk about Ozempic. So many things. Thanks for listening. Take care. See you soon.